1: it was one evening at work I got a phone call the receptionist called me and she said I have your doctor on the phone and I thought oh my gosh your doctor never rings you at work what on earth (laughs) so of course my tummy was churning anyway so she puts him through to me and he says I need to see you I need to see you urgently any chance you can come in today after work so of course for the rest of the day I'm just in turmoil because what is the problem
0: Today I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to the story. Well, Nalini Tranquim grew up in Zambia and always had visions of becoming a concert pianist and she was well on her way to making her dream a reality when she went to London when she was 18 years old. However, a few months after she arrived, she received some surprising news that put her promising future in doubt. Nalini is having a chat and sharing her story with Eric Scatabo and author Samantha Jekyll in our Melbourne studios. Welcome back to the program,
2: author Samantha Jekyll.
3: Thanks for having me, Eric. It's nice to be here.
2: Great to have you back on the program. And as an author and also as a person who leads a church along with your husband, Peter, you meet a number of people who have compelling stories. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I do. And I hear their amazing stories along the way.
2: And so what happens is you contact me and say, Hey, Eric, I met this very interesting person. You really should have them on the program. Your listeners really need to hear their story.
3: Yeah, look, there's so much power in our testimonies and in our stories that I am always eager to get their story out there. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I make that call to you and bug you with another story.
2: And you have another one for us today.
3: Yeah, I do. And you are going to be absolutely amazed by her story, but not only amazed, but really blessed by the outcome of her story.
2: But the interesting thing is is that normally... This comes about in your role as uh, the pastor's wife and helping to lead a church. But this story came about while you and your husband were on a second honeymoon in Venice. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Well, they say the most romantic city in the world is Venice. And I happened to find a little bit more love in that city when I met this lady. She was absolutely gorgeous. Mind you, we only met for about 20 minutes. and
2: No, no. how, How did this all come about? You're in Venice. having this second honeymoon, where were you staying?
3: So the funny thing is we're actually staying in a monastery in the heart of Venice, Mm -hmm. my husband and I, and um, we have a communal kitchen, and so we go into the kitchen one night to make a snack before dinner, and this couple walk in, an Aussie couple.
2: You're in Venice, and you're meeting another Aussie couple.
3: Yeah, isn't that in a monastery of all places? So we start this conversation with them, and um, Peter asks what they do, and they actually shoot back the question, what do you do? And so he opens with, I'm a pastor back in Melbourne. And it turns out that they are from Melbourne and they're also Christians. So we had this incredible 20-minute chat. And, and that was it? You just that had that chat? It. Yeah. And decided we would connect possibly when we got back to Melbourne because we bo- all four of us were super surprised that we met in hmm. this monastery in Venice. <laughs> and uh Yeah, so that's how we met. And then after that meeting, um, Peter and I went out for dinner. And it was during dinner that I thought, ah, you know, I should give Nalini uh, a book. And um, now we should
2: say, uh, obviously, you are an author. You have your book, My Purple Pants, which is a very compelling story in and of itself. So if people haven't heard that, yet. They should go back in our archives and listen to that. But you kind of, as a practice, hand your book out to people. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Whenever we go away, I always make sure I have a book on hand. And I pray and ask the Lord, you know, if you want me to give a book away, Mm -hmm. um, direct me. So, and just that night, it just kept Going around in my head You know Give them a book So I went back To the monastery Got the book And handed it At the reception I had forgotten Their names So I just said You know Another Australian Couple from Melbourne And um, left it With the receptionist So I didn't actually Know if they had Got the book Yeah yeah. Um, And prayed I prayed over the book Mm -hmm. And that was it We went on To celebrate The rest of our Second honeymoon And didn't see them again
2: But that's not The end of the story At this point Let's welcome To the program Another author, Nalini Tranquim. Welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much, Eric.
2: So you're on holiday. You're having a second honeymoon as well, is that right? So you and your husband?
1: My husband and I were celebrating our 21 years of marriage, and he promised me Venice when we first got married, Um, and 21 years later, there we were.
2: Okay. Now, what did you think of this couple, Peter and Samantha? You just happened to bump into them.
1: It's so crazy because, like Samantha says, we we literally only had a few minutes together, but we just clicked from the time we met. And, of course, we were blown away by the fact that they were also from Melbourne, mm-hmm. yeah. that they were also Christians, <laughs> and that Peter and Samantha were in the ministry. And then Samantha opened up about the fact that she too is an author. And what she didn't know then was that I was actually in the throes of writing my own book, The Orange Hue. Mm
2: -hmm. But you stopped writing.
1: I had stopped writing, and I had found myself in a crossroads. I just wasn't sure whether I should be finishing the book or not, because it's extremely raw, and I'm vulnerable in the story as I Mm. share my journey. And I just, yeah, I was just wrestling with whether firstly, people would want to read my story, mm. but also how it would be received.
2: Yeah. Now, Samantha, you can relate to what you went through. Yeah. Because in your book... To be quite frank, you admit some mistakes that you made in your life.
3: Yeah, I do. And it's a hard thing when you put it on paper and you know that people will judge you. Yeah. You know, reading through, they know everything about you. They know um, all the intimate stuff about you and your mistakes character.
2: that you probably yeah. wouldn't like other people to know about. That's but right. you have to share them in order to be real about what God has done for you.
3: Well, I think, you know. To be vulnerable is a Mm -hmm. really important thing, Mm -hmm. that we should be vulnerable, and it gives other people- It's not easy. No. But it gives other people the right to be vulnerable with us, Hmm. and it allows them to have a space to open up Hmm. and to be able to talk about things that may possibly happen to them or how they're feeling. So, I think that's the power of our testimony.
2: Yeah. So, you were vulnerable in your book and are sharing it with other people, and then- Nalini, what did you think when you finally opened up her book?
1: Oh, I couldn't put it down. My poor husband, I think he lost me for a
2: good couple of days. (laughs) (laughs) Here he comes to Venice, this romantic city with the canals. Yeah, And is all that, beautiful. it's a beautiful thing. And you're, you're sitting reading a book.
1: <laughs> I could not put it down. He'd have to come into the room every now and again and go, come on, babe, we need to go out. Yeah, it was exactly what I needed. I honestly feel like God allowed us to connect at a time where I was at this crossroads and didn't know whether to finish the book or not, specifically so that, in a way, He could use Samantha's story to give me permission to go ahead and write mine. I know that sounds random, but I closed that book at the end of it. And I said to my husband, I've got to finish my book. I have to finish it. And so for the rest of our anniversary, I was sat at my laptop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this poor guy. I know. I know.
1: Finishing off the book. And by the time we arrived back Just wait, in you Australia, actually
2: started yeah. writing while on the holiday? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> I know. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And then by the time we got back to Melbourne, the book was done. Like it was finished. Oh, Wow. Hmm.
2: So that was just a little nudge that you needed.
1: Yep. Yep.
2: And God used Samantha's story.
1: Yeah, to allow me to finish mine.
2: Well, I think at this point, I'm a bit curious to know, what was it about uh, your own story that had you kind of being apprehensive about sharing and being vulnerable? Don't answer that question, because we'll have it answered as you share your story. Where should we start?
1: I was born in India. My dad is a Hindu And mum is English. They actually met in Africa, but had
2: now that's that's a mouthful. I know dad is a Hindu from India. Mm -hmm. Mum is British white lady from England, and they met in Africa.
1: They met in Zambia. They ended up at teaching at the same school Mm -hmm. and fell in love. Eloped, <laughs> got married, and they then made the decision to travel back to their countries with each other to introduce each other to their families. Wow. Which back then would have been a massive deal.
2: Because this is a mixed race marriage? Yes, yeah.
1: absolutely. Um, so, they went to England first. Family were a little apprehensive of this Indian man. <laughs> hmm. Um And they tried to live there for a season. It was way too cold for my poor dad. (laughs) So that didn't work. Uh, So then they went to India, which is actually where I was born. And Mum struggled, I think, trying to fit in with the culture over there. And again, it wasn't very well received. The Mm. fact that there's Mm. this white woman now, you know, married to their son, whom an arranged marriage had already been planned. Um, Oh, so
2: he upset the apple cart.
1: Oh, Yes. Oh yes! Wow. Yeah, and of course, from different faiths also. You know, mm. she mum, you know, wasn't a, a born again Christian, but she wasn't of any other religion, and she was raised in England, and mm. so you know, as far as she was concerned, she was Christian. Yeah. You know, and my dad at the time was was Hindu. Mm-hmm. So yes, it did cause a lot of distension with the family over there. So they just didn't feel like they belonged.
2: Either in England or in India. Or in India. Then what
1: happened? Well, they then sat together one night and said, look, where do we fit? Where is home for us? And they got out their world map and realized that where they were at their happiest was actually back in Africa. So they packed their bags and ended up back in Zambia. With you and your siblings? Yes. Yeah. It's huge. Yes, it's massive. And so they lived in Zambia initially for a couple of years, but politically things got quite unstable. So, for safety reasons, they had to move. So, they actually ended up in Zimbabwe. And it was in Zimbabwe, actually, that both mum and dad became Christians.
2: Wow. Tell us that story.
1: I think they were both searching for something. They had left their families, their loved ones. They had now left Zambia, the school where they had met and all their friends And we're now in an alien country with alien people, alien culture, (laughs) uh, two little children, and desperately needed community. Hmm. And Mum ended up walking past a little church and the choir was practicing for Handel's Messiah. They were doing a performance. And Hmm. she heard the singing and it just reminded her of when she was a little girl um, and her grandma used to take her to church. So she walked in and bald her eyes
3: out wow.
1: and the church just embraced her and just loved on her and she ended up becoming a christian and my parents ended up walking through the worst couple of years of their marriage because now she was a completely different person but also your father
3: is still a hindu man still a hindu so, man you know there's got to be a conflict there total absolutely yeah i'm
2: assuming he wasn't too crazy about his wife's new face now.
1: Not too crazy about this new wife of his, (laughs) to be (laughs) honest. She did a complete turnaround. You know, she used to swear like a trooper and she just, the the bad language stopped. The partying stopped. She didn't want to drink. She, She didn't want to do all the things that they were doing beforehand. And so he didn't know who this woman was that he'd married. And so a couple of years later, they were at a crossroads themselves as to, you know, do we carry on together or Do we go our separate ways? And it was in the early hours of the morning. One morning my dad got up and he just went and sat in the garden outside and he just looked up to the sky and he said, if you are real, I don't want a walk with you like I've seen so many of your people where they are worshipping you on a Sunday morning and then they're sleeping with their neighbor's wives on Monday. You know, yeah. He said, I mm-hmm. want an authentic, real, mm-hmm. genuine relationship with yeah. you. And if you can give me that, then I'm all in. And that was the beginning of his walk with the Lord. He just had this hunger for the Bible and to learn more about Christianity like he'd never had in his life. And so, Signed up to Bible College, Wow, it's crazy. this So when he signed up to Bible College, he was still a Hindu man, still a Hindu. He had only just had this prayer, yeah, this this conversation, this little' That's incredible. that was it. That was it. And then he signed up to Bible College, started attending the church that Mum had found, yeah. and just blossomed from there. And it was during those years that I then gave my heart to Jesus as a little girl. I would have probably been about five when I prayed the prayer.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Nalini Tranquim is sharing her life journey with Eric Scatabo and Samantha Jekyll. As we've been hearing, Nalini's father is from India and her mother is from England and she grew up in Zambia. Also, both her parents became Christians when she was just a little girl. We'll find out about the impact this had on her life when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Nalini Tranquim sharing her life journey with Eric Scadabo and Samantha Jekyll. Nalini has written about her life experiences in a book called The Orange Hue. Before the break, we heard how both her parents became Christians when she was about five years old and growing up in Zambia. Now we'll find out what happened next in her story.
3: Well, and I'm sure your whole environment at home changed because you know, mum and dad before that weren't really getting along as she exactly. said. But oh.
1: now your the whole environment's changed. Whole environment shifted at home and I remember that shift. I remember okay. helping Dad clear away all his beer bottles because now he didn't want to drink as much mm. as he not because he because of rules and regulations, but because he just didn't have that desire anymore, you know. Yeah. I think God was filling that on the inside of him. And so, there was a massive shift on the home front. There was peace in the house now that I just didn't know. Yeah. Um, and so, when they then started to talk to me about this Jesus and telling me about His love, and I could see it as a little, little girl, I knew I wanted it for myself as well. And so, that's when I fell in love with Jesus.
2: And your father didn't just stop at Bible school?
1: No, he didn't. He ended up becoming a Baptist minister. <laughs>
2: Wow. What an awesome story. Former Hindu, (laughs) now a Baptist minister.
1: I know. It's crazy. It's just, it's been such a crazy ride.
2: And so you're growing up in this environment, and what's going on in your life?
1: Okay. So all through my childhood, I had this desire to become a pianist. Don't know where that desire came from, but it was etched in me from a very, very early age. And so mom and dad did everything they possibly could to help me pursue this dream to be able to play piano. Mm. So they spent their life savings on a little upright piano for me to be able to practice on at home. And I started lessons and I loved it. This was my thing. And so from that very early age, I felt like I was being prepared to become a full time Pianist later on. That was always the plan. And how did that go? I became fully qualified as a classical pianist by the time I was 16. Wow. I had studied with the Associated Board of the Royal College of Music in London. They used to fly out examiners to Zimbabwe for me to be examined, which was pretty insane. So, yeah, so by the time I was 16, I was fully qualified, got myself a job, worked for a couple of years, saved up my money. And then at 18, I jumped on a plane to London to pursue the dream.
2: What was the dream?
1: The dream was to become a world changer in music and to introduce people to the love of Jesus. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to do the two.
2: Then you went to London?
1: Moved to London. Four months in, realized things weren't great with my health. Wasn't feeling too good. Certain foods I just could not eat just constantly felt bloated just wasn't okay so registered with the local clinic I was working at the time got myself a job was living in a little house share was on my own you know all my family were in Zimbabwe so I didn't really have anyone there and in the midst of not feeling well I had started the process of reaching out to music managers and agents and was you know was getting the ball rolling on the music side mm-hmm. and had started auditioning and um, so it's all happening for the, all the happening dream. it's all happening it's all happening Um, but knew I needed to check in with the doctor and just make sure that everything was okay. So booked an appointment, registered with a local clinic, had some blood tests done. They asked a few questions and they said, look, your body's probably just under stress because of the move. You know, you've Mm -hmm. left your family, new foods. Yeah,
2: that's understandable.
1: Yeah. So didn't think much of it, to be honest. Um, And then he said, okay, we're going to get some scans done. And that kind of threw me a little. I was like, I thought, you know, ultrasounds and that sort of thing were mainly done on people who were pregnant and he said no don't stress we often use those kind of scans for any sort of cancerous growths and that kind of thing Mm. so of course at that point now I'm thinking okay I must be ill there Mm. must be something really wrong with me so it was one evening at work I got a phone call the receptionist called me and she said I have your doctor on the phone and I thought Oh my gosh, your doctor never mm. rings you at work, what on earth? Mm. <laughs> so of course yeah. my tummy was churning. Yeah. Um, anyway, so she puts him through to me and he says, I need to see you. I need to see you urgently. Any chance you can come in today after work. And I said, Well, I'm only going to be back in the area at about six, seven o'clock. And he said, It's fine, I'll wait for you. Wow. Oh. That that, that said gets it your all. Yeah. Yep. yep. Something's not right. So of course for the rest of the day I'm just in turmoil because what is the problem? Anyway, got to the clinic, he sat me down, and his first question is, is there anyone that can be here with you at this Mm. time? Wow. And I just, I was like, you're kidding. This sounds to me like... I'm on the brink of death here. It just so happened that my boyfriend from Zimbabwe, who I loved very much and we would dated a couple of years, had actually arrived in the country to spend Christmas with me. And it just so happened that he was actually in England at the time. So I said to the doctor, well, my boyfriend's in town at the moment. And he said, okay, well, that's a good thing. And then proceeded to tell me that I'm pregnant. And I I looked at him and I said, no, there's there's just no ways that I could possibly be pregnant. My boyfriend's only been here for a short time and we're doing things by the book. You know, we, we're not going to sleep together anymore. We messed around a little bit when we were in Africa, but that was it. Not going back there anymore. We're going to do things right this time. And I've got this career ahead of me and we've got plans. And, you know, marriage will come in a couple of years. That's, that's the plan. So, no, there's no ways. He must be reading somebody else's report. And he said... No, I'm I'm sorry to tell you you are pregnant. He said it it makes sense what you're saying because your dates are completely out. It looks like you're probably around the 7 month mark. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That floored me. What did you do? Oh, I just, I was in turmoil. I just my head was like was just spinning with this. I I could not fathom how this could possibly be true. Um, I felt faint, Just, I felt cold, I felt like I was going to throw up. So I just, I literally got up off the chair and staggered into the ladies' bathroom where I just hit the ground. I must have been out for a few minutes. And then when I came round, I just remember the walls and the stone floor beneath me and thinking, this has to be a nightmare. Like, there's just no ways this could be true you know, I've got this. I've got this dream. I've got plans. Like I've yeah. got this desire in my heart. My whole life, I have been gearing up towards becoming this musician, and now you're telling me it's over before it's even begun. Anyway, when I got up off the floor and I started to wash my face, I'm looking back at the reflection in the mirror, and I'm thinking to myself, "I'll abort. Mm-hmm. I'll just abort
2: because that way nobody would know." Yeah. And it's so tempting. Society is saying, hey, it's your right.
1: Yep. Absolutely. I can just be done with it. I wouldn't even have to tell my boyfriend. I would just keep it quiet. I will deal with the emotional trauma of it on my own.
2: You're in a foreign country. Nobody would know.
1: Exactly. So perfect setting, to be honest, to go down that route. So dried my face, went back in to the clinic to his office to the doctor's office with that in my mind that's going to be the next step and i opened his door and as i walked in he looked at me and he pointed his finger at me and he said and don't even think about abortion because you're too far gone Wow!
2: because you're seven months
1: right and he said it's not going to just end baby's life it could potentially end yours as well
2: hmm now I'm just listening in, earlier you said you were on fire for the Lord, you wanted to use your music for His glory, to bring people to Jesus, but then this happens. Yeah. How do you reconcile the two things?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was totally living a double standard life, especially when I hit my teenage years, mm. for real, you know, pastor's daughter leading worship on a Sunday morning, but in the clubs on Saturday night, and yeah. getting up to all sorts, mm. you know, and thinking but it, it was okay. it never like, caught up to you? no. Nah thinking it was okay, thinking it was fine. You know, as long as I, you know, apologize to God on Sunday and make everything right with Him on Sunday, I'll be fine. I can go straight back into that kind of behavior for the rest of the week and it'll all be okay because God forgives. He's a forgiving God, right?
2: hmm <laughs> Kind of taking advantage of that forgiveness.
1: Right, right. So, even then throwing it in His face and saying, well, where were you? You know, it's almost like I could hear His little voice saying to me, yep, I was there all along, but these were your choices.
2: hmm yeah. You chose this. yep. Yeah, yeah so your dream of being a concert pianist is shattered
1: oh yeah totally and that's actually why the book is called the orange hue because it was that night when i walked out of the clinic it literally felt like my life had ended like Hmm. i'm not going to go through with the abortion and i'm not going to physically lose my life but i've lost my life yeah. that's how mm-hmm. it felt and so I'm walking down the street it's foggy it's dark I mean this is England you know and it's <laughs> raining and it's miserable and I'm miserable and I'm crying and I'm walking towards the telephone box to call my boyfriend to give him the news and all I remember that night was the orange hue from the streetlights mm. reflected on the fog mm.
2: and of course at this point in your life you have all kinds of decisions to make are you going to continue to be faithful in your faith in the lord or are you going to kind of check that aside so yeah. all kinds of decisions both externally as far as what you're going to do with your life career-wise but then also internally in your relationship and faith in the lord
1: absolutely we're
2: going to have to stop it right there because we've run out of time for this part one of our conversation with author nalini tranquim but we would like to
0: have you come back again next time to share more of your story. Would that be all right? Thank you. I'd love to. Okay. As we just heard, that was part one of our conversation with author Nalini Tranquim, sharing her life story with Eric Scadabo and Samantha Jekyll. Nalini has written about her life experiences in her book, The Orange Hue. And at this point in her life, as Eric just shared, Nalini faced a lot of big decisions about her future. It reminds me of the saying that goes, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. So we put everything into God's hands when we're facing uncertainty. We invite you to join us again next time to hear what happens next in Nalini's story. Meanwhile, for more information about Nalini and her book, the website is nalinitranquim.com. That's T-R-A-N-Q-U-I-M. NaliniTranquim.com. Well, until next time, when we'll hear part two, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: I made the phone call. Um, it was Sunday morning their time, so they had just finished their service, so they were still at church. So she comes to the phone and she knew something was wrong because I never called her. She knew something was not right. And I just said to her, Mum, I've got to tell you something. I'm going to tell it to you and then I'm going to hang up and then we can talk again later.
0: Once again, Nalini Tranquim joins us to share more of her life story. Nalini was 18 years old and all set to begin her career as a concert pianist in London when she found out she was pregnant. We'll find out the impact this has had on her life and on her parents next time. The story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.